Have you ever stopped to think about yourself and your story? If someone were to write your memoir, what would it say? We all seek some level of authenticity, but have trouble removing the labels and finding our whole story. Welcome to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. In this program, we'll explore diverse stories on identity to help determine what is truly yours. Now, here is your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everybody. We're so happy to have you with us today for Dropping In, where we'll do a spontaneous deep dive into the subject of identity. We're going to try to surface diverse stories about who we are at heart. Today, we're here with Jerry Almond, author of the Block and fantastic memoir, The Reluctant RV Wife. So in preparing and, and thinking about uh, our conversation today with Jerry, I began to wonder about the abbreviation for identity, which is ID. So uh, as a verb, if you ID someone, you identify them. And I got to thinking about ID and id, the word id, which was part of Freud's scheme of the id, the ego, and the superego. And I started thinking about Jerry's book and this journey that she took uh, unwillingly, reluctantly, um, into an RV, a uh, container that she never pictured herself in. Um, and she found an uncovering, a way of finding herself going back uh, into her maybe more deeper states uh, of awareness. And we'll let her tell you about that. Um, but almost back to, and I thought almost back to an id state. Um, so the id is the first component of personality in Freud's theory. Um, everybody's born with the id. It's the one part of your personality that's present from birth. It's the primal and instinctual component, and it's entirely unconscious. So if you're watching a little child or an infant play, they're governed by their id. They want the toy. They want the bottle. They want the food. They want the mother. So nothing is mediating um, between these urges. The id seeks to satisfy its demands primarily for short-term pleasure, um, and um, you know it's active, again, in childhood, and some would say in artists who... Uh, don't curb their urges necessarily, but go from stream of consciousness. So Freud compared the personality to an iceberg. What you see above the waterline is actually just a tiny piece of the entire thing. And most of us is hidden under the water. The tip of the iceberg represents our conscious awareness and the bulk of it symbolizes the unconscious, where all of our hidden desires, thoughts and memories exist and I'm going to make the little argument or suggest that Jerry's journey actually tapped into some of her very early memories and early urges to seek uh, freedom and perhaps even the non-material world. Um, in his 1933 book, uh, Freud described the id as a dark, inaccessible part of our personality as we grow older. The only real way to observe it is to study the content of dreams or neurotic behavioral clues. Well, let's set those aside a second. Have you ever dreamed of an open road? Have you ever dreamed of flying? Have you ever dreamed of being completely untethered? Um, this is, I think, what Freud's talking about in terms of id urges, uh, which he compared to a cauldron of seething excitations. Well, we like that. Um, it has no real organization. So how do the id and the ego and the other parts of the personality, the superego, interact? 
Freud compared their relationship to that of a horse and a rider. The horse provides the energy that drives them forward. So that's the id, um, but it's the rider, the ego and the superego. That's the laws of our society, the rules that we live by, and also ego quest, which is a more mental, um, cerebral kind of process. So the rider guides these powerful movements from the id to determine our direction. Sometimes the rider may lose control and the horse, which is the id, finds that they're in control and the rider is simply going along for the ride. And today's guest, Jerry Almond, I would say, found herself along for the ride of a lifetime. And we'll find out what happens if we're able to slow down let ourselves wander and return to some of our id's basic urges. I'll give you a little bit about her story. Jerry Almond um, was a well-established and um, well-respected master gardener and Toastmasters speaker. She um, lives, lived in, we're going to get an update on that, in Tampa, Florida, Um, She is the author of this award-winning book, um, Traveling Along with Jerry, in The Reluctant RV's Wife, was an Amazon new release in Senior Travel Guide's bestseller at number one. It's an honest and poignant book that was a Royal Palm Literary Award winner in 2018, and most recently won the 2019 Sunny Awards from Sunbury Press. Um, it's published by Brown Posey Press, and this book can be ordered wherever paperbacks and ebooks are sold, including the Big A, Amazon, and Barnes and Noble. You can find Jerry at jerryalman.com, and we're going to be able to talk to her live and in person. First, we're going to find out where is where is Jerry? <laughs> where in the world is Jerry right now? Jerry, hello, great to be with you. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, and where are you? Good morning, Diane. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Right now, I am in a little town just north of Beaumont, Texas, called Vidor. We got here late yesterday afternoon, having left the Mardi Gras in New Orleans. We are en route now to the Big Bend National Park in southern Texas. Cool. Traveling about in our RV. Okay. Well, this is this is a, a vacation that we're going to take vicariously through you, or a trip, I should say. You point out the difference between vacations, traveling, and living in your book, which I thought were great uh, differentiations, but we'll travel with you today. Tell me what it looks like out your window. What are you seeing out the window in Beaumont, Texas? Bright, clear skies. The trees are bursting out. The, the oak trees are blooming. The wind is blowing. It is a very crisp, maybe 48 or 50 degrees out there. Pretty cold. Wow. But it feels good, right? It's good sleeping weather, I would imagine. And um, you're a little bit used to it. absolutely. Good. Well, I'm here to report, since I'm talking to you from St. Petersburg, Florida, that we've got the same weather here. So um, maybe minus the wind and the beautiful trees and um, obviously that big bend in the river. Um, Jerry, I'm going to look at um, just... um, continue this little intro for a moment. I think that, um, you know, we'll speak about this kind of uncovering an excavation process that you went through and kind of a transition really in your whole personality. 
Um, and I, I wondered, all, I, I thought while I was reading your book, that one of the things that helps to bring something like this about a, a total transformation is some sense of peace um, and letting go of expectations and expectations cling to us like flypaper, right? It's, it's almost impossible to let go of them. But as the Buddha says, suffering is created by pre-expecting certain outcomes and I have always noticed um, when I was boating with my parents on the Chesapeake as a young girl, I would step onto the boat and I would just automatically kind of power down and basically expect nothing to happen, um, which I think is a childhood adjustment. It's harder to make as an adult when you've got that many more responsibilities, that many more expectations, more time clock, more schedules, more to-do lists, everything going on in your head. Um, but I, I wondered about this idea of powering down almost metabolically um, so that something like watching a sunset becomes, you know, an event rather than a backdrop to, to life. And your RV, your recreational vehicle, I kind of broke down that word recreational and it allows you to recreate yourself, right? I mean, you um, you had this kind of peace, this kind of absence um of the usual anxieties, I would say you substituted other anxieties on the road, obviously survival being one of them. And um, I, I just wanted to hear from you, um, you know, you quite unexpectedly went on a journey that you never expected to be, to be on, how you then drew on, I think, some of your earlier experiences as a youth, you you had several trips to yours, Europe and a cross-country trip on a motorcycle with only the essentials. Early on, you enjoyed the kind of stripped-down simplicity. And I think you either have that or you don't. You read um, On Walden's Pond by Henry David Thoreau, and you kind of um, had a kind of mental place that maybe you logged on and left at a certain point, but it was there. Um and I think maybe the first time I, I really felt clued into this is when you arrived in Graceland, right? You arrived in Graceland via the RV you didn't want to set foot into. And what happened there? You rediscovered Elvis Presley. What was that like to get in touch with like an early girlhood infatuation? You know what? It was wonderful. But I want to go back to your very opening when you talk about your ID. If anyone had asked me before a couple of years ago, who are you? At my core, I would have said I'm a social worker. You know, that was my passion. That was my life focus. I spent 40 years practicing social work. The master gardening and the Toastmasters really came after I retired. I think there's something about retirement that means kind of letting go. It it really helps one live in the moment as opposed to dwelling on the past or focusing on the future. So I think retirement almost uh, demands that one slow down. You know, they're no longer the, the time constraints, the demands of showing up at a certain time. Retirement means that you perhaps can sleep when you're tired, eat when you're hungry, sit and do nothing when you feel like doing that. RVing, however, takes everything to a different level. It truly requires that you live in the moment. 
I love that. Throughout that first book, The Reluctant RV Wife, I was struggling to find the meaning of this. I wanted to know, how does this fit in? What is the kind of philosophical or spiritual framework to put this in? And it only recently has it uh, come to mind for me what it all means. You know, in a sense, I heard Bob Wills, who is the author of the YouTube podcast, Cheap RV Living. He is a, he's the guru of the, the RV world. He has done a lot of research into spirituality, anthropology, science, all of these different disciplines. And he talks a lot about Carl Jung. You, talk, you started off talking about some of these psychoanalytical theories and Freud particularly. Bob Wells talked about Carl Jung and the archaic man archetype. But then Bob Wells takes it on back to anthropology and the hunters and the gatherers. Bob mm-hmm. Wells has concluded after years of research that RV living is the natural state for man. It is the closest to what our DNA has programmed us to do. It is the most natural way of being. Throw in my long fascination with Henry David Thoreau and this minimalism, and then suddenly this RV lifestyle makes perfect sense. I stand inside my little RV, and I can almost find everything in the world I need or want within arm's reach. This is a beautiful thing, and you you did read uh, Marie Kondo while you were trying to purge yourself of your belongings. I I didn't mean to, you know, Jerry, we know one another a little bit, um, kind of as as neighbors and authors. I I didn't mean to overlook your 40 years as social work. Maybe I was just existing completely in the present, but I had sort of taken that as a kind of launch pad that, you know, part of our conversation can have a psycho, a psychological, anthropological, social, sociology um, platform because you you have an understanding of this. So it's not surprising to me that you um, have connected with a way of having a big picture of what you're doing out there. And to me, that makes it just all the more interesting. Um, but I, I feel as though, and getting back to the the corny, cheapy part and uh, the tacky part. Oh, no offense to Elvis, who I I, I understand is a, is a demigod, but um, you had this kind of unfinished business. I felt like you went to Graceland. There's a word, right? Graceland, um, a world where you find grace. And you know, it's this opening. You've gotten into this RV. You're not sure why. You haven't yet found Mr. Welsh. You you've not got an overarching concept. Which, by the way, it sounds perfectly logical to me that you would be closest to the natural state of hunting and gathering. It makes perfect sense what he said, but you, you mentioned in your book that you get to Graceland and you start to realize that, um, you know, while you had had this great love for Elvis, wasn't shared by your husband with whom you were traveling, but okay. And, you know, you it was a kind of touchstone to your youth, but it wasn't cool for you to grieve Elvis when he died, um, when you were, you know, go, when you were that age, because you had to go on marches and protests and you had things to do and sociologically yeah. important things to do. Um, and then I thought, well, it's kind of revived something in yourself where it's like, oh, there was a love that I kind of left off with in order to go about the business of my life. 
Um, and somehow it felt like you kind of came alive a little bit that segment of the first trip where you'd been dragged uh, kicking and screaming into the RV. Um, You know, whether you felt as though, you know, you say on page 87, you felt you had discovered a lost inner child. Um, And I think this is something, there's something to that, the unfettered passions of your youth. And by the way, this book is full of great writing um, that um, you've then got a sign Right, you're leaving Graceland. You've got the Elvis cup because, of course, you had to get a memento from the occasion. You, you've got the Elvis cup with the coffee. You put it on the back bumper of the RV, uh, hook up everything, and take off. And everybody forgets about the cup of coffee. And you get out of the RV, and it's there. <laughs> so this was, this was kind of, kind <laughs> I of a that was right? amazing, true story. The book, by the way, is a hundred percent true. You know, I think when you write a memoir, if you're not 100% honest, that ingenuity, uh, ingenuousness comes through to the reader. And I think you have to be honest. And at times I was painfully honest. My husband thinks I was too painfully honest in places. Uh, But in any case, I think when you are removed from your normal, uh, familiar surroundings, like being at home, with everything known to you, you can pretty much predict what the afternoon is going to bring or what the evening is going to bring. When you're traveling like this, you're just wide open to see things in new kinds of ways and to make connections that weren't there before. So I think maybe there's a lot of mythology about going to Graceland and what it does and the redemption that is possible when you get there, and I think maybe I did have that kind of experience in Graceland. It it did awaken a lot of stuff that I had completely not even known were buried there. I feel as though you were so self-candid, not just the honesty of the memoir, but you were very um, scrutinizing of yourself in a very, I think, very honest way. Um, and you, you talk about... Um, some of your unconscious regrets um, that stem from a little bit uh, after your teenage years, you you thought of going into the Peace Corps, um, and um, and you were going to you know exotic, unheard of locations, and I think ultimately, and you were really thrilled about this idea of going into the unknown, which strikes me you're mm-hmm. kind of picking up now. Um, you were dissuaded by your parents, who might have had your best. Um, you know, well-being at heart, but nonetheless, that was again lodged in your unconscious somewhere, right? You wanted to go out. You wanted to go away. Um, you wanted to do something. Fun. Um, and I, I wonder about retrieving that that thread too. And are you journaling all of these connections that you're making while you're out? Your- <laughs> I am writing two or three hours a day on the road. But going back to that RV guru, Bob Wells. I heard him speak recently, and his his opening was, I never felt like I belonged anywhere. I never felt like I fit in. I felt like when I had this nine-to-five job and this sticks-and-stones house and this routine that I was somehow being forced into a mold that wasn't 
that I didn't quite fit into. Good. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you to to pause for a second. We're into some juicy, juicy information. We're going to pause for a short break here, which is necessary to keep our show going. And but I want to come back okay. to the idea that you found out it was okay not to belong, and maybe you were always an outsider. So don't go away. We're going to come back with Jerry Almond, who's really outside. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Has your manuscript languished because you can't find the direction it wants to take? Or have you lost the motivation to finish and polish it for publication because it can be such a big, formidable task? Let Diane Dewey help you resolve your writing issues. Diane's manuscript coaching offers help with sticking points like the arc of your story and how to flesh it out, finding the inner story and what you want to say, developing your message, the revelations that become your reader's takeaways, helping to rally the motivation to finish your project, and what to do next. We can analyze, edit, and advise you on publishing. Who are the next collaborators on your writing path? If you seek resolution to these and other questions, please contact Diane Dewey, author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Find her at truenordmedia.com. That's T-R-U-N-O-R-D media.com. Or on her author's page, dianedewey.com. Diane can also be found through social media. Connect with her through the links on the show page. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D. Dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Jerry Almond, author of the really riveting and fun book, The Reluctant RV Wife. She's on the road currently. She's speaking to us from Beaumont, Texas, where she's traveling with her husband in her RV. Um, and um, I happen to know uh, the author's, uh, I met the author's husband on book tour um, where Jerry was speaking. And this was an idea that was presented totally blindsided, Jerry. Um, and I think we've all had this experience in, in a partnership where the person you're with comes home and says, wow, here it is, the most wonderful next thing. And you're caught totally unawares because you never thought about the RV. You never thought about the monster dog. You never thought about um, traveling on a barge or, um, you know, picking up stakes and going on a bicycle tour of uh, Australia. You know, things that kind of come out of the blue that Jerry has landed on her own two feet and has actually found a way of not only making sense of this, but actually expanding on the experience by finding a framework in which to think about it. One of the things we were just talking about is belonging and um, realizing that maybe you, Jerry, were always comfortable as an outsider, and maybe you wouldn't have realized that had you not gone on this voyage. 
Well, I think, you know, we all have common human needs. But I think, too, that we are all so unique, it's hard to fit in, it's hard to find community sometimes, particularly in such a complex, fast-paced society that we live in today. Mm-hmm. What I'm finding, though, is a community of like-minded people out here on the road Living as nomads, living mm-hmm. as gypsies, traveling mm-hmm. from place to place with no particular destination, and finding community within uh, this kind of a, an RV village. In fact, there are virtual communities, and our village happens to be one of them. I am just learning so many things about this lifestyle that I think. Most people out there have no idea that it even exists. I know I I did not until I'm getting more and more immersed into it. We've been on the road this time about three weeks, and already I have just learned so much more about this lifestyle and what it means and what it's really about than I ever knew before. Well, it sounds like it's left an RV wife. Yeah, it's probably got a lot of layers to it, and you'll always be able to take off another layer and go to it. You know, it's almost infinite. Um, I, I do want you to attach some, uh, we used to say fingers and toes to this. Give us some stats. When you say this community, which sounds fabulous to embrace, and of course, none of us, no, we had no idea it exists. When you're talking about the virtual, like your village, your community, how many people are we talking about that are out there on the road as nomads? Is there a number you can give us and demographics? Well, we've just joined a group called the Escapees. Uh, people who are primarily full-time on the road. I think this has over 2,000 members connected via Facebook wow. Wow. and a website. Our village, Wonderful. in contrast, I think, and I can, I'm, don't quote me on this, but I'm thinking is almost 100,000 people who oh are hooked up to our village, a virtual community. They have rallies. We just attended a five-day rally at the Spirit of the Swanee Music Park in Live Oak, Florida, when we left home, just uh, there were, I think they estimated about 1,500 volunteers who who were all there. It was, it was volu- it's a volunteer-based nonprofit organization. They provide. They had musical entertainment, several different venues every night. They had these huge. Uh, firebirds, they call them, but metal sculptures that they filled with firewood and they would glow in the dark. And I mean, this is sounding like burning man or something. And educational seminars and, I'm sorry. It's sounding very, it's sounding very um, like, uh, you know, people who flock together for for something like Burning Man or, um, you know, it's it's, it's a kind of a, a, it's a support group for one thing, but it's also symbolic, right, of a community that needs to feel those bonds as you go out. It's not always right. easy to do. Um, right. This organization is focused on building community among nomads. Historically, I think in, from anthropology, the, the most efficient-sized band for a group would be 150 people at, at max. So if you bring several thousand people together, 
or even several hundred for some kind of rally. You have all of these planned activities so that you're reduced down to smaller groups of 20 or 25 people with opportunities for bonding, for getting Mm -hmm. to know each other, for building friendships and making connections that are going to continue probably electronically after you go your separate ways, but then with plans to reconvene later down the road. You know, maybe you'll both find yourself in the Portland, Oregon area uh, or, you know, up in British Columbia. Who knows? But you stay in touch online and then you reconnect uh, in a planned way later on down the road. And just to play devil's advocate for a minute, because I think you kept it real in the book so well that, um, you know, you, at one point you were talking about um, the physical groups that caravan together and you were on a journey um, and which everyone had a, a set routine each day and you and Michael preferred to sleep in to 8 or 8.30. These guys were up and out by 7 and it became really kind of awkward to manage um being in a group all the time and you were kind of sort of um, I think maybe maybe it's more appealing in a way to deal with people virtually um, who you know there's a set boundary you know you have the freedom maybe you'll hook up again maybe you'll see one another in Portland maybe this maybe that but in the meantime you can share thoughts you don't have to get in the same daily uh, you know the daily routine and yet they're there. They're there for you. You're there for them. I think you're probably a right. very valued member. Yeah. You're you're probably somebody they think, they, they, wow, we hit the jackpot. Jerry Allman's right. with us. Um, you know, you have this yeah, background. I think RVers as a group tend to be fiercely independent, pretty self-reliant. And mm. I don't want to say they're loners, but they certainly are comfortable within themselves and can be alone. I think right. being able to be comfortable while alone would be one way of characterizing our viewers. Yeah. We, I don't think heard well in groups, if you know what herding. I mean. It's like herding our viewers. It's like herding cats, right? I mean, you can't, you can't manage that, it. That's right. Okay. But and you, the beautiful thing about... Okay, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I, please, go ahead. The beautiful thing. We don't want to not hear that. What is the beautiful thing beyond what you already said. The beautiful thing about being a part of a virtual community is that you can pick and choose. It's not like living on my little street in my subdivision in Tampa where I am stuck Mm -hmm. with with this immediate surrounding. I can pick and choose my immediate surroundings in the RV. Exactly. And no offense to the neighbors, but let's put it this way. They are unavoidable. You go outside to the mailbox, you may or may not want to be talking and, you know, as you say, this is giving you an element of control and selectivity. Um, it's just a very fun kind of modern um, take on RVing, too. I think, wow, you're connected. I think the other thing I have to say is, I, you know, when I n- noticed in your book, you defined yourself a certain way. Um, and maybe that's why I, I brought it up so soon in your intro. You, you were a master gardener. You, when you purged to, when you realized that you and Michael were going to take um, bigger steps and take longer trips on the road, you, the number of orchids alone that you had to throw away was like 20. I've never managed one orchid. You were a master garden, gardener, and as you put it so poetically, you had roots in your garden. Your garden was your activity, your identity, your energy. 
big change from where you are now, Jerry? Yeah. Well, first of all, there were 200 orchids, not 20. But what no, I but the, have the, learned... No, but you threw away. The, the, the thriving ones were... No, there was a whole city of okay. orchids. You sold them to your neighbor or you sold them to... That a is right, I, to orchid yeah. clubs and the master gardeners. They're gone, they're gone anyway, in any case. What I have learned, Diane, in the bottom line is that the more of my possessions that I rid myself of, the more free I am. Mm-hmm. And... You know, there's nothing like that feeling of being unfettered. And I absolutely love that when I am out on the road with no particular destination. Or we actually, we do have a destination right now. We're going to Big, Big Bend National Park. But we are not on a time schedule. We leave when we are ready to leave, and we stay if we feel like staying. You know, it's just the lack of expectations and the freedom to live in the moment. So cool. And you put you 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 mentioned that being off the grid at first it 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 felt scary. And you know, you were in your comfort zone back in the in the garden, and you know now you've emerged as a free bird. And I think in a very beautiful way, you've emerged. Um, but I think there were there were several times, you know, where the the stop in the in the book was um, Michael saying, "Well, let's go, let's go," and you were like, "The garden, the the, the plants. What am I going to do?" And it's a right. it's interesting to me the way you you were tethered, 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 and it gave you some time to think through this thing. Um, it gave mm-hmm. you a kind of a, a way of kind of having one foot in, one foot out, and and then finally you let go, and here you are. Finally, I let go. You really let go. Do you, do you think now that you have a new comfort zone, that now your, your comfort zone is actually in the RV and on the road? Is that fair to say? Well, it's interesting that you say that. I have a second manuscript that's currently with an editor, and the name of that book is going to be Home is Where the RV Is. <laughs> So, as opposed to you know, in the next of my series of books about RV travel, I have I realized I have completely made that transition. That this mm-hmm. is home now. That That's I have pretty much lost attachment to everything in my house back in Tampa, Florida. Mm-hmm. I'm really well, letting it all you- go. Yeah, and you realized you'd taken on things unwillingly or unwittingly, I should say, because I'm just in the process of emptying my mother's house now, and I know you can relate to this, but in the book, as you're purging, several things were things that came from your mom, and of course, through sentimental value, you feel you have to take them on, and now you've reached a point where, well, first you pass them on to your daughter, so thanks a lot, mom, but I mean, I think... I think <laughs> That's I right. Think, that's right. You did the you did the generational thing, um, but I I love this idea of um, being without material trappings and realizing them for what they are, because in the meanwhile there's so many of us that are caught up, right? Like we're hamsters on a wheel, and we're you know mm-hmm. and acquiring and all that. And you've basically gotten off that wheel, right? You're well it, as. Uh... Bob Wells, the RV guru, put it, we have traded traveling like nomads, hunters and gatherers in tents, and now we're doing it in rolling steel tents, which I (laughs) think is a very clever way of putting it. You know, it's a 21st century 
migration, relocation in with our tents. Only our tents have become something a little more sophisticated. And although it's a return to a more simple, basic lifestyle, trust me, I would be lost if anyone took my electronics away from me. Right. And you should know that the RV industry now is marketing to millennials. And these new RVs coming are off the assembly lines have more USB ports than they have electrical plugs. Any other considerations for millennials? Just the USB ports? You know, so many are going in Brooklyn. They're going back to analog. Everything's got time phases now. Um, but I mean, I think that's fascinating because, of course, millennials millennials may well want to jump on the bandwagon, right? Do you find that? Oh, there's so many people out here on the road living and working full time in their RVs. Oh, cool. So many computer backup systems, uh, solar, energy, generators, everything else. People who can work remotely, full-time in their RVs off the grid in the middle of the desert. You know, it's incredible. There are families with children growing up with no fixed address, being homeschooled, attending virtual schools online, maintaining multiple daily contacts with their best friends through Skype. It's an interesting, we're discovering so much about this mobile community out here. Right. It's a brave new world. It kind of, it kind of brings tears to my eyes in a way that like, wow, technology really made good on one of the promises to potentially free us up if we're willing um, so it must mean then you're you're getting Wi-Fi access out there as well, which that sounds promising considering how provincial Wi-Fi access can be. I do want to talk though, um, because I, I think we we almost touched on it before. Um, a generational, you know, I love that you're seeing both young and old in these this new concept of growing up without an address. Wow, this is mind-boggling and pushing another frontier altogether. I, I wonder about um, a kind of generative uh, point that you are in your life of discovering, uh, because, you know, you are in a, what Erickson called the generative phase, right? And when we come back, we're going we're gonna to take another short break. But when we come back, we're going to understand a little bit about creating things that, and nurturing things that will outlast us, but also making our mark, which is what I would argue Jerry Almond is doing by writing her books and taking us with her on the journey as the reluctant RV wife. And no longer reluctant is the final chapter of the, of the book. And there's another book in the works. So don't, come, don't yes. go away. We're going to come back with Jerry Almond very soon and pick up the conversation about how to live without an address. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Has your manuscript languished because you can't find the direction it wants to take? Or have you lost the motivation to finish and polish it for publication because it can be such a big, formidable task? Let Diane Dewey help you resolve your writing issues. Diane's manuscript coaching offers help with sticking points like the arc of your story and how to flesh it out, finding the inner story and what you want to say. 
developing your message, the revelations that become your readers' takeaways, helping to rally the motivation to finish your project, and what to do next. We can analyze, edit, and advise you on publishing. Who are the next collaborators on your writing path? If you seek resolution to these and other questions, please contact Diane Dewey, author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Find her at truenordmedia.com. That's T-R-U-N-O-R-D media.com. Or on her author's page, dianedewey.com. Diane can also be found through social media. Connect with her through the links on the show page. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Jerry Almond, who's in Beaumont, Texas, in her RV. She is the author of a chocolate block memoir called The Reluctant RV Wife. She has another book in the in the works. And we're talking today about youth, about how there's a movement afoot, about how Jerry and her husband found themselves doing something they individually desired, but found themselves actually on the frontier of a movement, that there are thousands of people living on the road without an address, homeschooling children, conducting business and careers from uh, remote locations, um, and through technology and virtual communities, not sacrificing a sense of neighborhood. Um, Jerry, it's so great talking to you, and I really think that you have crossed a threshold into, I don't know, a kind of prototypical existence. It's, it's kind of so exciting. Um, you, you reached a point, where, which you describe in the book, um, uh, on 2011, you, you've now, you've realized that, you've realized your mortality, because while we're talking about youth, um, you and I are of a generation, you know, the generative generation, late middle age, and we are interested in making a mark. We're interested in giving back, um, and we are also um, facing through watching our parents and the end of life issues with parents, starting to realize our own mortality. And as you said, from Janis Joplin, we better get it while we can. Um, I, I think when you take off in the RV, it, it almost feels like you're you're saying to death and mortality, "Oh, I'm not going to sit there rooted to the ground with the orchids going going deeper, deeper toward my grave," which was a great illusion you made. I'm gonna I'm gonna get on the road. So catch me if you can. I'm you know, <laughs> here's to it. I'm you know you're, you're you're kind of inspiring us to to seek freedom and to seek a kind of a, a just a different a non-material world and what that feels like. Um, but we are in a generative stage, and I wonder if you reflect on that in terms of does it feel right? You know, you 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 said this this feels right at a deep. It resonates at a deep part of your core. Do you think it's also part of a life passage that you're going through or or maybe not? I, I just wonder about that. Well, first, I don't think that I'm uh, a part of the frontier of this RV travel. I feel like I've almost come very late to the dance. 
I think there are people out here who would look at me and my book, The Reluctant RV Wife, and think, oh my goodness, what a newbie. She doesn't know anything yet. Or maybe she never will learn. In terms of the generative stage of life and what I'm doing at this point at 72 years of age, I never dreamed I'd get so old. All my life, I'd wanted to be a writer. I found social work in my very early 20s, and my goodness, I forgot about writing. Although in retrospect, I did spend 40 years writing because as a social worker, I wrote social developmental history, psychosocial evaluations, investigative reports for the court system. I, in a sense, spent 40 years writing. But it wasn't until I retired when I said, aha, this is my time, I'm going to focus on writing. My husband laughingly claims credit for my book. He says, until we got that RT, RV, you didn't have anything to say. I mean, please. But in uh-huh. any case, the RV did indeed, I found my voice. Oh, absolutely. I finally found a niche for something that I connected with, something that I could make I could use storytelling skills to get across. I could incorporate humor, and I could introduce a large, large segment of the population out there to an experience that they probably didn't know much about. Mm-hmm. I agree that this. And I hope I am. Dis- I hope I'm destroying the myth that tooling along the highway in a big RV is like a silver-haired retired person's old geezer kind of thing to do because it's not I cannot believe how many younger people are out here doing it nor can I believe how bright and interesting and with it the retirees are it's a different I think it's a, a unique sub-sample uh, of now, here's older the people I here's think the, the people that. out here are so vibrant and alive and still interested and with it yeah, and pursuing their kind of instinctive, you were saying about, you know, you eat when you want to, you kind of, your, your schedules are built on your own. I mean, come on, it's getting yes. vibrant again. Yes. It's getting almost youthful again, yes. um, a kind of a rejuvenation. I, I think the writing, um, I, I love the, the, the writing and that you've accessed. I think you always had something to say, Jerry, always. And But this gave you a kind of a platform, a place to speak from um, fig- figuratively yes. and physically. Um, I, I really, I want to know, like, when's the Netflix series going to start? Because I also want to see, I want to see some of the stuff, because I don't want to necessarily leave the comfort of my home, <laughs> but I'm tempted <laughs> the book to do it. I am tempted. You're completely inspirational. Um, and don't discount what, you, what you've learned. I think it seems like you've learned a lot, but... I mean, do you have any plans or, I mean, is this, the, I'd love to kind of see a series. And by the way, um, to the audience, if you ever get a chance to hear Jerry Almond on one of her book tour stops, do it. Because there's a, you know, as a um, Toastmaster, she's a wonderful speaker, as you can tell, but also um, provides a lot of um, scenic imagery and um, all kinds of images that fill in the gaps on this story in the reluctant rv wife thankfully there's a whole section of photographs that you can see she and michael tooling around and where where you go um i just realized too that um you know there's so many directions that you can go are you are you do you think of anything visual um above and beyond the the writing which we love 
I not yet. Not okay. yet. Perhaps it will come in the future. I am having the time of my life right now with the writing. This is my passion. I get up at five o'clock, five thirty in the morning just in order to have several hours of time to think, to reflect, and to write down my thoughts. I'd rather write than do anything else. Right, and it shows. When I complete a manuscript, the tediousness of the revisions and that, you know, all the work that goes into taking this completed manuscript to that level where it can be published, it's just a lot of work. I wish somebody else could do that for me. Right. Well, you know, there's virtual editors and, you know, we can go into that. I do, I do think that, you know, you've, you've found your gift with the writing for sure. And I just, um, you know, and I think it's, it, everyone out there, including your husband must be um, taking in and storing a lot of these impressions, but you're articulating them. And that's, that's what we appreciate so much. Um, I want to get a little bit deeper into the idea that you're, you're not taking this journey alone. You, you are, uh, the journey is, as you've talked extensively in the book, it's the journey outside, you know, what you're seeing, um, what the, the weather conditions going to the Alaska Highway, um, the remoteness, the beauty, the starkness. But it's also the, the inner dynamics inside what you used to call, sorry, a tin can. And you used to refer to these people uh-huh. as old coots. And now, you know, I, I love this whole <laughs> You know, what was true once, it's not any longer true. We've found a new truth. I, I do, and, and I think, you know, Michael, uh, he was the initiator of all this, right? And and you talked uh-huh. about fear of, well, what would it be like to be uh, essentially trapped inside the tin can, inside the RV, with your husband for extended periods of time? Can you talk about how that journey's uh, turned out and your self-awareness from that? experience? Mm-hmm. Well, the book is certainly, it, there are a lot of things throughout the book, I think, you know, changing situations in marriages, for example, retirement threw us both into tailspins. This RV threw us into tailspins. Mm-hmm. As we started traveling, trying to live in, well, I don't know, 50 square feet of living space inside our little RV. That was challenging. I mean, how in the world do you find privacy or quiet time when you're living that close with another human being? So there, there are a lot of changes that were necessary with the marriage. And I will say that it brought us a lot closer together. We worked them through, and I'd say our marriage is stronger now than it ever was. I love the book that. also I, I... deals with a the theme of aging and having our bodies fail, that first book about RVing, I was undergoing total knee replacements. I was in excruciating pain, and uh, we kept doing it. The last RV trip we took last year, and this is talked about in the next in the series, my husband slipped down the RV steps and broke his leg when we were in Austin, Texas. We ended Mm -hmm. up spending five weeks in Austin. Then when we finally got off on the road again, when he was in a walking boot and could put some weight on the leg, we went to Portland, Oregon, ended up spending five weeks there because he needed physical therapy. I think this RV travel, it it just presents so many situations that require the flexibility. It requires you to regroup 
and mm-hmm. adjust and adapt and be flexible and to keep on trucking. And you end up feeling like such a survivor when you get through all of this, when you solve these problems and you're these challenges, when you're successful and you find out, you look around one day and you say, oh, my God, I'm confident. I'm happy. Not only am I, I'm euphoric. You know, this you is life. This is, this is what it's supposed to be. Right. And you did it together. Um, it's a, it feels like a lesser yes. person did not survive it. But, you know, I think you're right. You, you face goals and exigencies together and you're stronger for it because you mentioned about suburban life and drifting apart, maybe not even knowing what each other did that afternoon. Whereas here, you're uh-huh. hands on. You're in these projects right. together, surviving the leg. Oh, yeah. We forgot to mention Jerry's two new knees. Um, the, the, the things that you survived. They glued you in a way that a doing does and just, um, you know, abstractly being together doesn't really cut it. Um, I think that, you know, you, you are, you know, you, you also talk about the mechanisms of how to survive, walking away, pausing, if there's tension, you know, the same kinds of things you do mm-hmm. when you're in the house, but but maybe it's a little bit more extensive because you could walk conceivably two miles down the road and be, and be in another place altogether, mentally, a different space, emotionally. Um, we're going to be closing very, very soon, which is sad for me because I've enjoyed so much talking with you. But I, I, I want to just see if you can, you know, sort of summarize this, like your relationship to your husband, to, to yourself, and to a community that you found. It seems as though these connective bonds you've made are somehow even stronger than ones that you find on land. We have about a minute to go. Any thought about that, how that comes about and what you're feeling now? Well, I think the RV triggered a lot of thought in terms of how I saw myself, what I wanted out of life. I think it helped me dig a little deeper and realize that maybe this was an opportunity rather than an albatross that was being, you know, thrown upon me. I think what this RV triggered was an openness Mm -hmm. to new experiences, Mm -hmm. and somehow it has stimulated this almost unquenchable thirst for new experiences. I've become just almost addicted to looking out this front windshield and looking up ahead and not knowing what's there, but wanting to know, just wanting to keep on going to see what's ahead. Great, Jerry. Keep pushing. Go deeper. Get stronger. It's Jerry Allman, the Reluctant RV Wife. Thank you, Jerry, for being with us today on Dropping In. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Diane. Happy travels. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.